The mission, there we go. See, it's, it's never Randy, it's always me. Um, the mission is important. There is not a mission, there is the mission. We started this series last week talking about the mission that God gave us, the mission that Christ left us with when he ascended into heaven. And that mission, of course, is encapsulated in the Great Commission, Go ye therefore into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. That's the short version. That's our mission as a church. We've been exploring and will begin exploring today our mission, how we live that out, how we've chosen to talk about that, to portray that, and how we've chosen to live it out. Obviously, I need to talk a lot more about it because, as I shared last week, there are some people that I know that were asked about our church and what we're all about, and they could not say the mission statement. So it's my goal that you will all, by the end of the series, know what the mission statement says. And it is simply to grow in faith, serve people, together. Say it with me. Grow in faith, serve people together. Now, in, inevitably, someone will come to me, well, what about this and what about that? And in true fashion, as a true pastor and as a person who likes to spin things, I guarantee you anything you bring me, I can probably fit into one of those categories, right? Not that I should, but I probably can. Was that you, Lord? I don't know. <laughs> Did my phone seriously just walk off the edge of the desk? No, don't. Okay, you want to get it for me, bud? Go ahead. Take it to Mimi. Take it to Mimi. I don't even, no, I don't want that anywhere near me. Take it to Mimi. That thing just moved by itself. I don't want it up here with me. Thanks, bud. For those of you watching online, that was my grandson. Anyway, um, where was I? Anyway, the mission. Um, I can fit just about anything into this because almost anything that, that is a part of Scripture that is important can fit within one of these three categories, and, and we can live it out in that way. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to go into kind of a microcosm on each of those three things. Today, we're going to talk about growing in faith. But before we get there, I want to just mention something, and I, I look back in my notes. The very first time I ever brought this mission statement to you, um, I preached a series on it, and I introduced that series by talking about a show that I knew about growing up, but was actually before my time. And I'm going to defend that. It, it was before my time. Um, anybody remember the show Mission Impossible? You remember that? There was a television. For those of you that only know about the movies, you're, you're telling your age, right? Because there was a show before that. Now, I don't know when that show aired. I know it was before my time. I only found out about it later as an adult because I saw the movies, and then I went back and looked. But I don't necessarily love the show. I don't necessarily agree with everything in the movies. So don't take this as me condoning those movies. There's stuff in almost every movie today that you probably should or should not see as a believer in Christ. But I'll leave that to your conscience and the Holy Spirit. I love the idea of those movies and the show. I love the idea of a mission that is seemingly impossible. And yet a group of people makes the mission possible by just attacking it in a certain way for instance as i kind of thought about this several years ago i put these notes down it, it, it was all about a mission that was impossible that became possible with the right plan the right people and with full dedication to the cause with a willingness to risk life and limb for the sake of the mission almost one almost in every single movie and i don't know about the television show because i haven't seen a lot of those in every single movie there is almost always a moment where the hero almost dies am i right because it wouldn't be a Tom Cruise movie if he didn't almost die, right? He's like the Rocky of the modern era, 
Rocky could never land a punch until he was almost dead. Am I right? Anybody else watch that Rocky movie and go, dude, just block a punch once in a while. Just stand there and take him over. And What was wrong with him? I don't know. He had to get hit until all he could say was, yo, Adrian. That was it. That was all he could say. And once you get to that point, he's going to start fighting now, so be ready. So if you ever see that dude, that actor in a dark alley, don't throw a punch until he's yelling, or when he starts yelling, yo, Adrian, get out of there, because here it comes. But it it seems like the same way with the the Mission Impossible movies. They always go to the end of the the edge of their limits, but they find a way to make the impossible mission possible. And there are some who would say that our mission as a church is an impossible mission. There are some who believe that the church is dead or that the church has lost its power, that the church and especially believers in the church no longer live the life that God has called us to live and therefore we no longer have the means or the backing or the power of the Spirit of God to complete the mission God has given us. And I believe that the mission that we have is possible. And I believe with the right people, right? In the right plan and the full dedication to the cause that we too will find a way to complete the mission. But the most important element of that is that we need to do the mission with the full reliance on the creator, the one who gave us the mission. Because he will supply the power for us to accomplish his mission. Am I right? I should have got a really loud amen on that one. Listen, I believe that the mission God has placed before us is possible. And so today we're going to delve in. Um, Grow in faith is what we're talking about today. Growth is something that um, is is an interesting concept because we all kind of know what growth is. And yet I I think we, when we spiritualize it, when we take it from the physical realm into the spiritual realm, we kind of change it up a little bit. And here's what I want to say to you. I believe spiritual growth is very much akin to physical growth. And I believe we see signs of physical growth all around us. Most of us are grown-ups here in this room. We have grown to the point that we've stopped growing. Amen? Amen? Any of you 60-year-olds still growing? Is there hope for me to one day dunk a basketball? Because I stopped growing in 8th grade. I was this tall in 8th grade. I touched the rim of the basketball hoop in 8th grade, and I thought, I'm, I'm good to go. By the time I'm a senior, I will be dunking that ball. And guess what? I never grew another inch. In fact, in my latest doctor's appointment, the lady came out and she said, so you're about 5'9"? I said, no ma'am, I'm 5'10". She said, well, you measure, I'm 5'10". Gravity will not win this war, right? You start shrinking, it's weird. Anyway, but physical growth is something that we kind of understand. And, And when you think about growth, what we need to understand about growth is it's not something human beings can cause. It's not something we can necessarily do. You can't decide to grow physically, right? If you could decide to grow physically, I would be 6'6 right now, right? If that was a decision that I could make in my mind. I cannot cause myself to grow. It's not something I can accomplish on my own. However, what we can do is create the physical environment that is conducive to grow, to growth, And once those elements are in place that are conducive to growth, then the natural laws and processes that God, the Creator, put in place take take effect, and we will essentially grow in that instance. For instance, for plants. We all kind of understand this with plants. I grew up on a farm. We understood on the farm that if you want the crops to grow, and my mom had a really big garden. I think I've talked about that before. 
And it was a garden that got horse manure spread on it all winter long. So let me tell you, the stuff grew like it was on steroids. If you create the right environment and give plants all that they need, they will grow. Most of us understand that. Plants need what? They need light. They need water. They need soil. They need all of these things. And certainly, if you're watering them with, you know, um, with weed killer or something like that, they're not going to grow. There has to be a lack of contaminants that will cause them to die, and there has to be an overabundance of elements that they need to live. And so when you give a plant all of those things, they naturally do what God created them to do, and they grow. So when they are healthy, and you create an environment that is healthy for them to grow, then they will grow. It's the same with our children. Our children grow not because we will them to grow, but because God has put into place um, structures and laws and rules of, of the universe that if they are in an environment where they're able to grow, they will grow. And most children will grow faster than you really want them to. Amen? How many of you spent the first year of your child's life going, oh, if only they could walk, if only they could talk, if only they could do this, if only they could do that, and then you spent the next three years wishing they couldn't do all of those things. Am I right? Sit down, you know, oh, walk, take steps to daddy. Oh, would you just please stop running around the house, right? It's that kind of thing. But growth is that kind of thing. We can't do it on our own. We simply fall within God's rules, God's environment, God's world that he created. And when the elements are that are required are there, we will grow. As human beings, we need food, we need water, we need air. Uh, we need the proper temperature to grow. You cannot grow if you live in 30 degrees with not the proper clothing. You'll freeze to death. That is a thing. Um, we need sleep. Some of us forget sometimes that we need sleep. But we need sleep. As I get older, I'm finding I need more sleep, right, than I used to. We need all of these things to grow. And once we get these things, this magical thing begins to happen that we call health. And out of health comes growth. And so when we become healthy, that leads us to a place where we can grow. And if there is a lack of health for any reason, then the growth will all be stunted and not progress necessarily as it should. And you've all seen this example in different people, in kids and adults that had some kind of illness or ailment or defect, and they were unable to grow as people typically grow. And I say all of that to say this. I believe that spiritual growth falls within the same kind of measurements. I don't believe it's possible for us to simply say, I'm going to grow spiritually, and then do that. I think we have to instead create an environment that is conducive to growth and make sure that all the elements that are part of that kind of environment are in place so that spiritually we, we can become healthy, and then when we're healthy spiritually, growth is the natural product of health, right? And so instead of trying to grow what we should really be striving for, is to be healthy as spiritual human beings. We can't take ourselves or we can't make ourselves or anyone else grow. And that's one of the other problems we have. I have been trying since I got here to help Dennis to grow in his faith. Because the Lord knows he needs it. Amen? I know Jan's been trying too. I don't know. You can't make somebody else grow. I can't force myself to grow. You can't make somebody else grow. But what you can do is you can help them create an environment in which they can find spiritual health. And when they have health, growth will be the natural product. Well, what do we need to create an environment of spiritual growth? We need the Word of God. We need the Word of God. We're not there yet. That one's at the very end. I don't want to confuse you guys. You're already looking kind of confused. 
or bored. I'm having trouble telling between your bored and confused looks, so be more clear. Um, anyway, um, spiritual growth is really no different. W- what, what's needed for an environment of spiritual growth, there's lots of things, and I'm going to move through this quickly because I want to get to the scripture that's really the keynote here. The word of God obviously is necessary for growth. Everybody knows you can't grow physically without food. You can't grow spiritually without filling your, yourself with the word of God because the Bible calls it the bread of life, right? That's what Jesus calls it. And so the word of God is needed. We must read the word if we want to grow. We need to pray. I like to think of prayer as breathing. Like we need air in our bodies. We need prayer in our spiritual lives. And if we pray, we find that 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 gives us life. And in fact, the spirit in scripture, the word that is used for spirit is often the same word as wind or air. And so we need prayer. We need good relationships to help hold us up. I like to think about relationships relationships in this in the christian life as being kind of like the bones of the structure because if my muscles aren't strong enough to hold me up then the the skeleton takes over and sometimes that skeleton and this is a weird way to think about it are the people around me that are supporting me and helping me in my spiritual growth and so we need those relationships we need to serve as a part of our spiritual environment to grow because when we serve that's like exercising our muscles and if we don't ever exercise our muscles we will never grow stronger in our relationship with Christ, and so we need to serve. We obviously need faith. How many of you think I should have put faith first, probably? I just thought of that. We probably should have put that right at the beginning, because without faith that God has done what he says he did, we will never get anywhere. Without faith that Jesus actually died on the cross, we can't even begin our walk with him. We can't begin our relationship with him, and as we serve, it strengthens our faith, and as we have more faith, we're able to serve. And so these things work together. And another one, last one, is worship. We need to worship. Some of you I know, you're like, well, I don't like the music. Well, music isn't the only way of worshiping. It's my favorite way, personally. But it's not the only way. Friends, reading scripture, prayer, all of these things can be worship. Service can be worship. Anything that is done for the glory of God can become worship. But don't underestimate time spent simply declaring the greatness of God and giving him praise. Because that's what our music is primarily aimed at doing. We need all of these things to create an environment where we can grow in our faith. And we need to create an environment in this church where everyone can grow in their faith. Everyone. Not just those who have been Christians for a hundred years. Any hundred year people in here today still walking? Listen, I was counting it up and the best I can tell I'm 52. I got it right. I'm 52 years old. I got saved somewhere around the time I was like five or six. So let's just say for the last like 45 years plus of my life, I have been a follower of Jesus. Now, wouldn't you think after 45 years, I would have learned everything I need to know and know everything I need to know and pretty much have it down pat? I got news for you. I'm still learning. I'm still trying to grow. I still need to grow. Sometimes I don't want to grow because growing is hard and sometimes growing hurts. Have you ever heard the term growing pains? I don't sometimes want to grow, but the fact of the matter is, even after all these years of following Jesus, there are things in Scripture that I don't understand, I don't know about. In fact, my disciples, one class, were reading through the Old Testament, and people keep asking me questions, and I want to be able to answer, well, the answer is this. And I have to say, more often than not, yeah, that one's got me scratching my head too. 
I don't understand some of that stuff in the Old Testament. I mean, I get it. It's a different culture, and I have answers for that. And I know what all the scholars say and all the people that love to debate about it say. But the fact of the matter is there are still some things in Scripture that when I get to heaven, I'm going straight to God and saying, you did what to Sodom and Gomorrah? I mean, I get that they were all sinners, but it just doesn't seem right. Right? I realize I'm going to see some pushback on that. But listen to me, the God of the New Testament offers grace and mercy to those who are even in the worst of sin. And yet back then it seemed commonplace. And, and I get it, it was a different time. It was kill or be killed, all that stuff. God, why did Israel need to eradicate everybody from the promised land? Didn't they have a right to be there too? Wasn't that just like what is being done to Israel today? These are questions my mind wants to know the answer to. But those are questions that aren't going to destroy my faith. Because my faith is not in a book. It's in a Jesus. And it's in him and in his person and in his death and resurrection on the cross of Calvary. And the things that I may not understand today about scripture will be worked out someday. But the things that I can understand about scripture tell the story of a God who loves me and wants me to continue to grow in his image every single day. And so I'm going to keep working at it. How about you? Some of you have been Christians longer than I've been alive. Are you still working at it? Are you still pursuing it? Are you still trying to grow? Or have you decided, nope, I'm going to let gravity take over and I'm just going to start shrinking. Right? You ever known a Christian who's started to shrink? You can generally tell because the first part of their body to start shrinking is the side of their lips. Remember when I used to say they look like they've been baptized in vinegar and lost their last friend? Friends, unfortunately, that describes far too many Christians. Let me tell you something. If you're going to age as a Christian, age well. Don't let the corners of your mouth fall. Age with grace, age with mercy, and age with joy. I believe we all need to continue to grow. And if we're going to create this environment, we need to create a place where everyone can grow, not just the people who've been Christians for a long time, but those who are still asking questions. Did you know that somebody who doesn't even know Jesus yet can grow in their faith? I want you to think about this with me. Because in, in the day that I was growing up, when I was a kid, almost everybody knew who Jesus was because almost everybody started at least in church. Today, that is not the case. There's a lot of people out there that when we say, Jesus died on the cross, they're like, what in the world are you talking about? Who is Jesus, and why does a cross have anything to do with this? You know, pendants don't kill anybody, right? They have no idea what we're talking about. And we need to create an environment where people who are seasoned Christians can grow and people who are still asking questions about who God is can grow. Because everyone needs to grow in their faith, no matter who they are and no matter where they are in their walk with Christ. The person who doesn't even know Jesus but is trying to figure out who God is needs to have an environment where they can grow. And friends, that's the kind of environment we need to create here by being open to their questions and not judgmental when they don't seem to know what they're talking about. Because honestly, most of us don't know what we're talking about sometime or another. And we need to be ready to answer those questions and patient with them. We need to be um, creating an environment where those who just got saved and are really excited can grow and not try to dampen their enthusiasm because it makes us uncomfortable that we're not still that energetic. 
We need to create an environment where they can grow too. We need to create an environment where those who are struggling with, what are my next steps in faith? I got saved and, and I really believed everything would be good. They told me on television, all my problems are now solved. But my problems still exist. What do I do now? I've got, I've got answers for that. <laughs> you work. You work at growing. You work at becoming. You create an environment in your life where God can do his work in you and you will become stronger. We need to create an environment where anybody can grow in their faith, whether they don't know Jesus yet or whether they've known Jesus so long they're best friends. We need to create that environment. And Paul, I love it, the Apostle Paul gives us some insight into what that kind of an environment will look like. In Ephesians chapter 4, wow, I don't have a lot of time left. Y'all, we're going to be late today. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16 says this. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. I love the fact that he talks about these people as gifts to the church. Most people skip right over that and go, no, no. He's talking about the spiritual gifts that those people have. That's not what it says. I am a gift to you. That makes me feel good just for a second until I saw the look on some of your faces. Never mind. I don't even want to go there. But he, he did. He does. He talks about essentially those people who are responsible for the growth and the health of the church. Now, there are other spiritual gifts that are mentioned elsewhere. But in this passage, he focuses on these ones. Verse 12. Their responsibility, this is what they're supposed to do. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we, are, that we will be mature in Christ in the Lord. I'm sorry, I'm trying to, my mind is saying a different translation while I'm reading this one. We will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Let me tell you, he begins again with an admonition of thanks for these people that help the church to grow, but then he gets right to the nitty-gritty of it. What does maturity in Christ look like? Verse 13, he says that we will have unity in our faith. Wouldn't unity be a wonderful way to live? Now again, I'm not talking about uniformity. There are those in the church that think that everybody has to agree about everything in order for us to get along. And that is not true Christian unity. Christian unity sees differences and loves people anyway. That's the synopsis. Okay, We are different. Look around. You're not all as handsome you know, as the person sitting next to you. Or as beautiful as the person sitting next to you. You're not all as smart as you would like to be or as you think the person next to you is. But listen, we're all different. Unity comes when we see the differences and we love each other anyway. And you know what? That happens best when we give each other the benefit of the doubt, first of all, and second of all, refuse to be offended. I'm so tired of offended people. 
I'm going to get on my soapbox for just a second, and I promise I'll get off. I, I heard a quote, and it was such a great quote. I wish I would have known, I wish I would have wrote down who it was. I think it might have been Tozer. I, it was one of the great writers of the Christian faith, but I can't remember. He said that one of the truest marks of the Christian faith is a person who's almost impossible to offend. Why would that be the case? Why would a believer in Christ be almost impossible to offend? Here's why, I think. I think it's because they are so comfortable and so certain and so secure in the knowledge that they are a child of God, that they are a follower of Jesus, they are a child of the King, and that God's got their back and Jesus is on their side, that they don't have to worry what other people say about them ever. That's what I think. And if we were living in the kind of world where believers in Christ refused to be offended, but instead gave people the benefit of the doubt, we would be so much happier than we are today. I'm just going to say that. Because I hear conversations all the time and see them on social media where people are talking about something that was said and how badly it offended them. And I think to myself, there's no way that could be misconstrued as offensive. People are offended by compliments today. Can I just say that? It's ridiculous listen if you give that person whoever it is that's speaking the benefit of the doubt and assume that they're not trying to offend you what's the worst that could happen they tried to offend you and failed isn't that what your mama always told you was the best thing ignore your little brother it'll really get his goat so if they're trying to offend you and you respond with love and grace and mercy, it's just going to annoy them. That's a bad reason. But am I right? Listen, refuse to be offended. Give people the benefit of the doubt. When someone that opposes you, that doesn't like you, that you know disagrees with you, opens your, their mouth, don't assume that they're coming to attack. Assume that whatever they say can be taken at face value and respond to them in love. And you know what? I believe even in the church, there will be unity in our faith. There will be unity in spite of the differences that we have. And you know what? This would save a lot of families too. Because in every family that I know, there's this kind of thing going on. Well, they said this to me, or they didn't say this to me. You can offend somebody by talking or not talking. And if I've offended you today, I apologize, but I'm, I'm unfortunately in a position where I am called to preach the truth, and I have to. So if it offends you, then you can take it up with God someday, if you see him. Okay, that was just snarky. I apologize. Soapbox over. Moving on. Anyway, <laughs> unity of our faith. Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> knowledge of God's Son. Second thing that, that, may, that is a mark of a mature Christian, knowledge of God's Son. Now again, I, I've kind of gone overboard saying knowledge is not everything because the church has fallen in love with knowledge. And we fill our brains with so much information about Christ that we neglect knowing Him personally. But there is a sense in which when you grow in your maturity in Christ, you should gain knowledge of, of God's Son. You should always start reading. I, I believe um, if you're new to the faith, you should start reading the words of Jesus and the actions of Jesus. Because if you get to know Jesus, you've, you're halfway there. Um, knowledge of His Son is certainly a sign of maturity. The third one he mentions in that verse is measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. What a great way to say it. In other words, becoming as close to being like Jesus as you possibly can. 
Like he says it like it's a surety. You can do this. You can become like him. You can measure up to the standard of Christ. I don't know about you, but I've been working for that for 40 some years. Not there yet. It's time for me to start asking, Lord, what else do I have to do here? Because I keep failing in little ways. But that's what he says, sign of maturity. Then in verse 14, he goes on to talk a little bit about what immaturity looks like. Because if we're going to know what maturity is, we also have to understand what it looks like when we're not mature. And he says this, immaturity is, is being tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. I am so sick and tired of people saying, hey, have you heard that new podcast? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against podcasts. But what I'm tired of is everybody looking for some new nugget of truth that's going to change their life forever. Because you know what? The classics are best. The classic truth that every church that believes in the Word of God is preaching every single Sunday morning are the fun- fundamental, fun- fundamental foundational basics that you need to grow in your faith. But we don't want that. We want a quick fix. Just like I want a diet that will not force me to stop eating the foods that I like, I want a faith that doesn't force me to do any hard work. And the hard work is where you're going to grow. So you can listen to podcasts if you want, but listen, just because somebody says something new doesn't mean it's good. And actually probably doesn't mean it's new. Because everything that is new has been said before. You just haven't heard it yet. Or you've heard it in a different way. So listen to your podcast. That's fine and great and good. But listen, every wind of new doctrine is not worth chasing after. The fundamental truths are are best. Love God. Grow in faith. Serve people together. It's all there. It's all you need. Every wind of doctrine. Um, He goes on to say, not being influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Listen. Our marketing-driven culture is so good at telling lies, we don't even know when we're being fed them anymore, right? Since when, as an example, since when did football turn into gambling? And if you watched a football game recently, you can't watch two minutes of football without seeing an, a gambling ad. They've incorporated into every football show that there is. And you know what lie they're telling us? They're telling us the lie that if we would just gamble, we'd be happy. I think some of you probably know that's not true. Some of you, because of a tragic experience with gambling, know that's not true. Just like society will tell you the lie that if you just drink alcohol at a certain level and with the right people, somehow you'll maintain that same body, which is wrong. But you'll also just have a perfect life. And you know what? It's not true. And some of you have had hard experiences with alcohol or drugs or other addictions that make you know that. Listen, the lies are, there's a plethora of lies out there. Don't believe them. And then he goes on in verse 15 and 16. I promise I'm getting done. He says in verses 15 and 16, he goes back to the maturity. He said that this is what we'll look like. We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Each part helps the others to grow by doing its own special work. Speaking the truth in love is literally the answer to all the world's problems. If you've got a problem with your marriage, don't go to your spouse and say, you've got to knock this off. Don't ask me how I know that's not the right way. (laughs) You can fix almost any relationship if you begin a confrontation with the words, because I love you and I value our relationship. I need to talk to you. And we need to get this figured out. 
because you're far too important for me to me to let this fester, to let this grow, and to let it divide us. Listen, in the church, in your family, with your children, with your spouse, doesn't matter who it is, in your workplace, that might be a little iffy. If you can begin the conversation of confrontation that sometimes we need to have with a statement of, listen, it's not because I'm angry with you that I'm bringing this up. It's because I care about you. It's because I want what's best for the relationship that we have. There's a, so much that can be done. You can speak the truth, and we must, as a church, speak the truth. But we must temper it with love. Grow in faith, serve people together. But what tempers that is love God and love others. Remember when I said that last week? That's how we do the mission. Unity in our, uh, nope, wrong one. We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Each part helps the others to grow by doing its own special work. Listen, the best way we can have a healthy church is when each person in the body does the work that God has given them to do and follows the plan that he has for them. He then goes on in verse 16 to give us a description of the whole body and what it should look like. And I love this statement. He says, so that, all of this that he said before is so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. Get it? Healthy, which leads to growth, right? Growing, which leads us to serve. And this is the time for that slide, Steve. Sorry, I should have gone over that with you. Healthy, which leads to growth. Growing, which leads us to serve. And full of love, which inspires us to work together. I think that's the next slide. I'm just confusing Steve all over the place back there. Go ahead and go to the next one. Is it up there? Hit through all three of them. There we go. Healthy, growing, full of love. Did I spell full wrong? Full F. I forgot the TH. 45 years, still not perfect. Still growing. Still trying. Thanks, Caleb. Appreciate the help there. Healthy, which leads to growth. Growing, which leads us to serve. Full of love, which inspires us to work together. Grow in faith. Serve people together. Listen, if we're going to have the kind of church where people can grow in faith, we have to create an environment that is conducive to growth by surrounding this place with the Word of God, with prayer, with worship, with giving each other the benefit of the doubt, which speak, with speaking the truth but doing it in love. We have to create an environment where people are okay to ask questions, even about difficult topics, especially about difficult topics. And we need to find ways to love each other in extraordinary ways. And if we can do that, I believe that we will grow. Because if we create the environment that has all of the pieces there, God will do his work and he will cause health to come. And out of health will come growth. And as you grow individually healthier and, and grow in your faith, the church as a whole will grow as well as we become healthier. And as each part does its work. So I'll ask you the same kind of question I asked you last week. Are you in? Are you willing to stop sitting on the sidelines if, if you've been in this faith for a long time? Are you willing, if you're just finding Christ, to do what it takes to put yourself in a situation where you are surrounded by an environment that will lead to health and to growth? Are you willing to take that step? I hope that you are. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, I thank you uh, for the grace of those who listen to my voice every Sunday morning. Father, there are things in this message I feel very strongly about, and I pray that they are things that you also feel strongly about, because sometimes it feels like I'm just firing from the hip, (laughs) and I apologize for that. But I do believe, God, that you want us as a people to start giving each other the benefit of the doubt, to listen to conversations, not with suspicion, wondering what that person is, is really meaning about us, but to listen to conversations with grace and with mercy, doing our best to find a way to respond with love and with care, and yes, with the truth, given the right way. I pray, God, that you would help us as a church continue to strive to find ways to create an environment where every single person, whether they know you or whether they've never met you, can grow closer each day in their walk with you and take one step closer to finding you if they don't yet know you. And God, as we do that, we know that you will bring health. And out of health will come growth. And out of growth will come service. And out of service, we will find a love for each other that allow us to grow and serve together. And we pray that that would happen here in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say the mission statement. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Turn to your neighbor and say it to him, and then you can leave.